Welcome to this Brave Feminine Leadership Conversation where I get to meet with incredible global leaders and I get to ask them all about women in leadership and soak up their wisdom and perspective on leadership and life. And I could not be more thrilled today than to welcome Melanie Silva to the conversation. Mel, so lovely to have you here. Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm just going to touch on your bio briefly so people are across who I'm talking to if the name's not familiar. So um, Melanie Silver's VP Managing Director for Google Australia and New Zealand, a role she took up in October 2018, and she's based in Sydney. Mel's been with Google for more than 14 years and has held a number of senior leadership positions in Australia and APAC most recently as Managing Director for Go-To-Market Strategy and Operations, Google APAC, based in Singapore. Prior to Google, Mel worked as a General Manager at Fairfax Digital's Direct Access and has got an extensive product and marketing background in financial services from companies like Citibank, ING Direct and AMP. Mel's a karaoke fan. She's an amazing wife and a mother of three. And Mel, before I even jump into a first question with you, I mean, that just has to be answered. If you're up performing a bit of karaoke, what song are we most likely to hear? Well, look, it will always depend on the vibe, but I've got a few go-tos. Um, Never Tear Us Apart by NXS is a classic because the performance is, you know, incredible. You can do a good knee slide during that one. Um, <laughs> don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. And of course, if you're with the girls, then it's something like an I have nothing. But uh -huh. um, but taking on Whitney is a big call. So I, I keep that one for special occasions. Fantastic. It puts my duet of islands in the stream uh, to shame. But, uh, I'll go breaking my heart. Yeah. Yep. Love a bit of karaoke. So, so, Mel, as I said, brilliant to have you here. And for anyone in our audience who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you just tell us about yourself? So, who are you as a human being? Well, I mean, I think um, it's it's interesting because, you know, you ask that question and you sort of automatically go to, oh, my God, who am I as a human being? Um, look, I'm a really straight shooting person. Um, I'm, a, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend. Um, I happen to work at Google. I see my role at Google as one where... Um, Again, I'm a team player, I'm a team leader, I'm a broad enterprise leader, I'm a bit of the external face of Google. Um, so I feel like there's so many dimensions. Um, but that's kind of the interesting part about everybody, right? Um, and so I think that all of us just bring this crazy bunch of experiences and who we are to, to the table every day. And and one of the things that I um, you know, talk about quite a lot is bringing your whole self to work and that being such a fundamental part of our culture here at Google. Um, and so, you know, I'm all of those things and more karaoke fan. Um, but, you know, then you break it down to those little micro moments and there are some days when I, I kind of come to the office and I feel like I've run a marathon, you know, like you've done the early drop-off to netball, you've figured out this, you've done that doctor's appointment and you walk in and then... <laughs> And then you're like, oh, okay, what's on the agenda for today? <laughs> um, so, you know, sometimes structured strategic thinker, other times crazy swan paddling the feet underneath the water, you know, lot, lots of things all at once. Fantastic. Now, I'm super keen to get into 
you know, you and your background and, um, you know, how you ended up in the role that you're in. So let's go right back to growing up. Mm. Um, look, I think I probably had the best grounding. I'm sure everyone says that. But um, I grew up in a, you know, hardworking small business family. Um, my parents both migrated from Malta, a very tiny country off the coast of Italy, um, when they were both quite young. And so, you know, had this incredible desire to, to build something and grow something. And, and I think that experience of growing up in a household where you see the innards of a small business is just like really, really um, a great education. So, you know, our living room was the meeting room, the conference room, our phone was the, you know, the business phone. And so you know, there's a different dimension to sitting on the phone with your girlfriends for four yeah. hours when that's the only phone in the house. <laughs> you know, the good old days when there was only one phone. Absolutely. Um, you know, peeling potatoes on a Saturday morning and getting everything into the van and taking it there and just realising all of the behinds of the scenes stuff that, that goes on in getting, you know, a wedding. My mum was a caterer, so her, she had a wedding business. And you just kind of see this, you know, all of this work that goes into creating this event for a client, which is one of the most special days of their life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I loved that experience. Mind you, I think when I was about 16, I was sort of like, this is so not for me. I am never doing that. <laughs> um, I want my weekends. I want to... Um, you know, have a little bit of fun. But, um, you know, from there, I guess that grounding in um, business and commerce and was always really fascinating for me. My dad was always a bit of a tinkerer as well. So we had a computer. I, I feel like we had a computer and games really early. Um, and the combination of both of those things, I guess, um, I feel like I stumbled across an economics degree. It wasn't something that... Um, you know, I had this grand plans of working for Treasury or being an economist in a bank. I just was interested in the subject at school and sort of stumbled into that. And I had three jobs while I was at university. You know, I was selling raffle tickets at the Royal Institute for Deaf and Blind Children. I was working at Meyer at the time, selling haberdashery. Um, I was doing some tutoring on the side. You know, like I was just... I wouldn't say I didn't feel like I was hustling, but I just was very independent and I really wanted to make my own sort of money. Um, so, you know, it wasn't long into my university career where I started working part time in financial services. And again, I stumbled, I feel like I stumbled into it, you know. Um, my first job was in a call centre. And, you know, from there, you just end up kind of taking the opportunities as they come to you, right? So I, I see myself as getting to where I am because I've always been really curious. I've always sort of stuck my head up when I've seen an opportunity. Um, and, you know, I've taken some risks, you know, um, with that. interesting um, for women. I love when you and I um, caught up prior to the conversation and you described yourself as a bit of a meerkat. I may have yes. been described as one in my past too. But yes. You know, that's that curiosity that you talk about, because what I'm hearing here is you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Well, you know what, Melissa, like I couldn't have possibly known that I wanted this job. I mean, the Internet mm. didn't exist. right? Google didn't exist. I mean, I was in my second year of uni when I got my first uh, when I had my first experience on the Internet. 
Yeah. So, you know, like I couldn't have possibly imagined where it was. Um, but, you know, that meerkat moment that you talk about, I think, is one of those really pivotal moments in my career. I was an assistant product manager at the time. And so it's a fancy way of saying I used to help write the prospectuses for the managed investments that AMP offered. And I heard people talking about this web project. And I literally like stood up out of my cubicle and was like, what's that about? Can I help? Can I help? Mm. You know, so it wasn't formal. It wasn't like I applied for the job. I just sort of offered my <laughs> services. And, you know, in a project where no one had the experience, like there weren't any kind of internet legends rolling around. We were all yeah. just, you know, muddling our way through it. Um, but, oh, wow, what an experience that was. Like, again, this seeing the innards of what goes into creating a website, the wireframes, the architecture, the working with the IT departments, writing all the copy, um, thinking about the interactivity and the security of it all. You know, like what a great sort of masterclass for someone. Um, and, and, you know, you fast forward a couple of years and all of a sudden you are one of those people, a small group of people who've got some sort of experience in digital and internet um, sort of technology. So, you know, your job opportunities kind of create from there. But, but from day one, it was just something that made me so excited and just the nudging up against the frontiers of what people were experiencing just felt exciting yeah I just have to ask if you were you know if it was you at uni or not at uni you're at a job already but if you were in a role today sort of you know doing whatever the equivalent is of what that role was then what do you think would capture your interest now oh look <laughs> that's a great question I mean I feel like I'm, I'm have that moment last week when I was watching, you know, Google IO and seeing what is possible with things like AI. And when I have meetings with the CSIRO to hear about the projects they're working on and where we can collaborate, like that level of, wow, I, I don't know if we've got the tech for that, but let's go figure it out. Um, and having really smart people who are like experts in carbon sequestration talk to you about. <laughs> um, so look, I just think that digital technology and a digital future for Australia, but globally as well, that's the thing that would that's popping me up out of the cubicle at the moment. So let's get going on the career path. And I guess what I'm interested about, was there a moment, I mean, you've described a really important one as far as the trajectory of your career. Is there a point that you got sort of intentional about your career or a point where you started to think, actually, I could, I could be MD one day? Like, tell us about any of that. So ironically, for someone who, like, is a huge advocate for career planning, yeah. um, no. Right. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the story because I think it's actually a good one from a journey point of view. Um, I had been in the sales role for about nine years. Um, and when Miley Carnegie, who was the former MD, announced she was leaving, I was like, right, this is your moment. Right. I was on her leadership team. I'd been in the business for a really long time. I thought, this is it. This is my time. Um. And whilst it wasn't directly on my, like, sort of career plans, yeah. so to speak, it just felt like the natural and organic thing to do. And, you know, I didn't get it. 
at that time. And I got this feedback um, from Karim Temsamani, who was, you know, and still is like probably one of the best sponsors I've ever had in my career. So I owe a lot to him. Um, said to me, look, you know, you kind of got pipped at the post. There's just a couple of areas where I think you're just not quite ready yet. But hey, have you thought about doing something else? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Like that to me feels like the breakthrough moment where I became intentional. Okay. Um, that that moment was okay. I have a choice here to either go and do this or go and do that. And they will. It's a sliding doors moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that will probably lead me down really different paths. Um, and of course, you know, I took the one that felt ridiculously scary and bigger than I was and a little bit sort of outside of my, um, you know, existence. But, oh, my gosh, it was the best thing. It was the best thing I ever did. For Probably not for the reasons that you think either. Like I ended up moving to Singapore, so I gave my family this incredible experience of going to live in another place and, you know, for kids being disrupted, which you know, let's talk about the number one skill you're going to need to be successful in a couple of years. It's that. We got to have that experience. We got to live in a different culture. But personally, from a growth point of view, after being, you know, in a role for nine years, you master it, right? You can do it with your eyes closed. Yes. And I had this, like, whack-in-the-face reminder of what learning felt like. Yeah. And guess what? It feels really uncomfortable and horrible (laughs) when you talk about being brave that to me is a huge element of it now it's actually going in with the wisdom of I'm probably going to do something and it's going to feel really uncomfortable Mm. (laughs) but that's all part of it it's not that I'm not good at it it's not that I can't do it it's not that I'm failing it's just this is what learning feels like and so that that kind of all crystallized for me in Singapore Mm. Um, but what a job like so broad diversity of countries diversity of markets a different level of networking within Google Um, and so then you know fast forward two and a half years when the MD role in Australia came up again I was so much more prepared yeah and I've got to say like I loved that time in Singapore but I am much better at this role now because I had that experience in Singapore, which let's go back to first principles is because I didn't get a job, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> that was the catalyst for it. So the fail ended up being the biggest breakthrough. So it's interesting what you talk about in terms of incredible sponsor, because I'd love to talk about what incredible sponsors do with you. And that's such a great example, but you know, are you happy to share what what feedback you got and how you could do something about that feedback? Yeah. yeah. So, look, I think um, Karim and I had worked together before, so he knew me. He knew that I had um, a certain set of skills, um, but he had also then gone and done a couple of other jobs around Google globally. So I think he came back with this, if you're going to be in that seat, yeah, okay. You're going to need the network. You're yes. going to need the cross-functional alignment. And you have pretty much just done this sales job up until now. So how can I give you that set of experiences? And so him putting that opportunity in front of me, but being very clear that this is a stretch, right? This is 
something that is, you know, <laughs> A, it wasn't formed yet. B, it was you kind of have to create it, like build the plane while you're flying it a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'll support you. And I think we'll work together really well. And so this, this opportunity that he was providing was working very closely with him um, in kind of a go-to-market sort of capacity. But, you know, the feedback was the cross-functional relationship's probably not there, um, dealing with governments and all that kind of external forces to Google outside of just ads, yes. you know, kind of where the business needs to be. And, yeah, I mean, what... So, so doing that and taking that leap when you knew someone believed you could do it. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, the essence of what sponsorship is, which is banging the table for you. So he, he advocated a lot, I think, for me to, to have a shot at that gig. And I had to earn it. I didn't sort of get it because he anointed. Yeah. Um, but I know he advocated for me in the moments that mattered. Um, and in the first six months gave me probably, you know, the best, most constructive feedback, you know. But I look back and that's, to me, the essence of what a great sponsor is. It's yeah. someone who sees the spark in you, who fosters that spark, who tells you what you need to hear, and then who bangs the table in the moments that matter for you, whether that's at a promotion table or a job table or, a, you know, doing referee sort of work for you. But that's, that's to me, the, the ingredients of the sponsorship cake. And he's there to take those phone calls when you're going through those ugly growth moments. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you got to the, um, and congratulations on the MD role, when you got to the MD role, just staying in that same vein of, I don't think you're ever ready for those roles, you know, like you get in the role and then you, then you work out what it's yeah. all about. How was that? How was that transition and... Yeah, same. And because, um, yeah, same as in you're never ready. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think that, you know, life has a funny way of just sort of everything you thought you were going to experience, I'm just going to give you the complete opposite of that, yeah. um, you know. <laughs> so, but again, I've had this experience of quite recently being very challenged and very, you know, um, unsure about what to do. So I think I could bring a lot of that experience to the role when I came back. And so a couple of those elements for me were, you know, two listening holes, one talking hole for the first couple of months, just shut up and listen. You know, if you're going to speak, ask a question. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I did I did do this in Singapore, but I did it again when I came back here. And it's a, a little survey that I do called Tell Mel. Mm -hmm. It's very, very simple. What has made you proud in the last six months, what's really frustrating you in the last six months, what would you do if you were me, um, you know, all of those kind of things. So simple, so easy, but just an incredibly good listening tool at scale. And um, so you do that for everybody? You invite everyone? I do that for everybody and I do it every year. Right. Um, and it's just, you know, as a leader, understanding what people are proud of mm that's just incredibly rich, right? Mm -hmm. How can I make sure we're building more of those kind of experiences and clearing the path for frustrations to be pushed to the side? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, just being completely open about the fact that good ideas come from anywhere, right? So um, so that, that was a help, really helpful tool for me. But I think when, when I came back to Australia, 
because I had worked here for such a long time, I was very conscious of not assuming that I knew everything because two years is a long time. Two and a half years is a long time. And so I just was very conscious about there are a whole bunch of people you don't know. Don't show up as the old Mel, show up as the new Mel. Um, And what are the elements that you need to be really crisp on in terms of understanding the business and understanding the players and understanding the competitive landscape um, and where my team need me, Mm. right? Not just sort of doing the MD role that I think that um, I should do, sort of that servant leadership kind of approach, right? What, What do you need me to do? Are there elements of the role that surprised you? You know, was it different than you imagined? You know, I'm super passionate about there being as many female CEOs as possible. What do people need to know, Mel? Um, Look, I think that, yeah, this is not unique to Google, but um, I think the breadth of uh, issues that you have to kind of look at is always a surprise. Mm. Um, And again, that was sort of a soft skill that I got to learn in Singapore. You know, when you're looking across seven or eight different regions and a product set that just continues to get, you learn almost instinctively how to stay shallow and when to go deep. And what are the early warning signs of, I need all the information on this one, thanks. And it also really reinforces the need to have incredible, incredible leaders that work for you because you need to trust them implicitly you can't do everything (laughs) yourself you can't know everything about everything um, but you can control the people that are leading each of those important buckets for you Um, so yeah the breadth and depth of the issues um, I mean I think I'd had a lot of experience leading teams and large teams um, and fundamentally that's just an endeavor in human (laughs) engagement Right. So that doesn't really change a huge amount. Yeah. But um, this space just moves so quickly. Um, and, you know, and Google has this unprecedented complexity to it. So even the Google in Australia that I left in 2016 was radically different to the Google that I came back to in late 2018. Um, and, of course, you know, the government scrutiny and the competitive scrutiny as well as, you know, some of the bigger cultural things that were going on. I mean, just to give you a flavour, I I came back in October. I think in November there was a walkout that happened because of allegations made in the US and Google has just united and, and walked wow. out. Um, that December we had the most horrible bushfires that ever swept yes. across the country, soon to be followed by floods, a whole year of, um, you know, hectic on-the-job learning and going, and then a pandemic, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then a whole lot of regulatory scrutiny that, um, you know, that went on. So I just think that um, I could never have expected any of those things. No. You know? <laughs> what do you call out as the most challenging point in your career? You know, when we, when we spoke the other day, I assumed it was... Singapore and the move to Singapore, just the way that you sort of described that. But you you were like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, no, look, I think, I mean, challenging in really pushing you to the boundaries of things you've never done before. Yes. Um, you know, in 2020, we had some pretty significant legislation coming through that was going to impact the way we did business. Yes. Um, that was an incredibly challenging time. Um, just 
the speed at which things moved, we were all working from home at the time and about five months into it, I figured out that I was pregnant. So it was was a big year. Little things going on. (laughs) Yeah. Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. Okay, so how did you, I mean, that that's a lot to cope with um, all at the same time. How do you, I mean, how do you maintain perspective in that sort of space? You know, how do you actually take care of yourself? Yeah, I mean, look, I always... Um... I think I've always been pretty naturally calm, Mm. you know, like I can talk myself off the cliff. (laughs) Um, That said, there is a hell of a lot of self-talk that over the years I have learned to cognitively manage, right? My coach, I credit my coach this you know um little model so i have to give all credit to to dr trav but um he was very good at telling me how to make sure that i could listen to it but not sort of pay it any attention and just move it to the and and sort of acknowledge that this is you this is mel mel will always do that and the reason Mel does that is because she sets high standards and because she's you know she doesn't suffer fools and she doesn't want to come across as you know um, knowing everything so she challenges and questions everything and so he helped me find a strength Mm. in the self-talk if that makes sense it sounds like a little bit counterintuitive but that process of finding the strength in that negative self-talk pushing it to the back of my head has helped keep me very calm. Now, that's not to say that I don't have those moments because I do, like I'm human, right? Um, But I'm able to kind of chill a lot more than than I used to be, that's for sure. Um, But the perspective during that particular time, I think when you're busy, you just kind of keep moving, right? but I do have to credit my little Freddie, the little baby <laughs> that was growing um, inside me because what a great giver of perspective he was. No matter what was going on, you had this constant growing reminder yeah. that there is nothing more important than that. Yeah. And so you've got to stay healthy and you've just got to calm down and there's no point getting stressed about anything. So just, you know, relax. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you kind of find perspective, I think. And and that resilience, you know, you've you've got to realise that it's not happening to you. It's um, it's just something that's happening. How long have you had a coach for? So we have been together um, longer than most marriages, I think. Mm. <laughs> so, no, I... Um, I started working with Dr. Trav, I think, in about 2014. Mm, Wow, okay, that's terrific. Yeah, so it's, and, you know, like there's been definite periods of intensity and then, 
you know, I, I remember when um, when I heard that Jason, my predecessor, had um, resigned, Dr. Trav was one of the first people to call me. Right. And, you know, like that's the sort of relationship that you develop over the years of, you know, do you want to have a chat? Yeah. <laughs> he never leads me. He's just always just, I'm here. I'm here. You want to. Yeah, exactly. So I want to ask you, um, I mean, that was fascinating because I was going to ask you all about that self-doubt and imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and that voice and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we often hear a lot of people saying, you know, don't, don't, um, imposter syndrome's not real. Um, you know, don't tell people that they have imposter syndrome and stuff like that. What's your take on that? Okay, so it's, it's, it is interesting because I do think it has a branding problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate the word imposter. Yeah. I, like I do have an allergic reaction to imposter, but but again, like I said, I, I've been able to find strength in that mm. doubt. Like, you know, I can now realise that that voice is, you know, the one that tells me that there's something I should be afraid of here. It's, it's my instinct. And it's also a really good check and balance for me. Mm. Um, I, so, you know, I don't want that voice to go away necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I don't want it to dominate and I don't want it to be the driving force of everything that I do. And I don't want it to hold me back. Mm. Um, so it's about being the boss of that voice, not hating that voice. But I think everybody feels like uh, they doubt themselves every now and again. That's not, you know. It's normal. Beyonce is Sasha Fierce when she gets on stage because, you know, she's like, hey, I'm just Beyonce. I'm just, you know, I relate. <laughs> now I've got to ask your stage name. That'll be my next question. But let's talk about about females in leadership and you know that I'm super passionate about more females becoming CEO now and, uh, and I mean we've celebrated some brilliant appointments recently here in the Australian market with three very yeah. prominent companies um, appointing female CEOs but still progress is slow mm-hmm. and I just would love your perspective on that Mel like what what's your take on it all? Yeah I mean look I think there's a kind of scientific and then a societal element to it right if you look at the science or the math of it we do have broken rungs in the ladder right so whether it's um the amount of girls and women studying certain types of occupations uh, at uni or studying certain types of um, subjects at uni whether it's, you know, people having their first or second child and when they break out, whether it's that first leadership position, um, there's broken rungs in the system and that that creates um, delays, but it also makes women opt out of a system. And so that's not helping to create a 50-50 pipeline when you're in that, okay, we're hiring for the CEO, is my executive team 50-50, right? That's, that to me is a math problem but it's really hampered by the societal (laughs) problems right um i am a huge huge and i was reminded this morning that repetition doesn't spoil the prayers only when people are sick of hearing you say it that maybe they start listening parental leave maternity leave paternity leave is still seen as a problem in most organizations right yes 
there is an incredible missed opportunity <laughs> because I am the, you know, I'm the MD of Google Australia and New Zealand. I took nine months of maternity leave when I had my baby a year ago. And as a result of that, 10 people across our organization got development opportunities. Brilliant. Right? I come back into my role. Some of them move around, some of them take new jobs, some of them go back to their old jobs. But one thing's for sure, they are all better. Yes. They're better because they've had a variety of experiences. Some of them are better because they've walked half a mile in my shoes and now they know. I'm able to come back and elevate and let them keep doing some of the things they were doing. So people beneath them get to rise up and do other things as well. This is an incredible opportunity to provide people with on-the-job career development. (laughs) So... So if we only looked at people going off on extended periods of leave, whether that's carers, paternity, maternity, whatever it is, as a like, yes, this is great for all of my stuck talent who really need that next opportunity, um, then I think that would dramatically change um, that, that problem. Um, the last point I'd make, Mel, is, you know, I think, you hear, you've heard a lot more about this post-COVID, mm. um, but this whole concept of like, why, why, do I even want this? <laughs> like, yes, yes. You know, women are just going, I, don't, I actually don't. It's too much. I just, <laughs> and part of that, I mean, I feel like I'm lucky here, but I'm, I am a female leader in a 50-50 team, right? Mm. Um, so this concept of, inclusion and diversity and I put it in that order very very intentionally because there is no point in having 50-50 if you don't have a culture of inclusion right if there is still um, systematic and really entrenched processes that just favor after work drinks and the flexibility and deals being done on golf courses and (laughs) You know, like that's just not cool. Mm -hmm. And so to ask a woman to go and be a leader of an organisation where 80% of the leadership team is one gender or the other, and it's equally the same for men. Like if you're not sort of in that equality plus that culture of inclusion, like why would you want to do it? Mm -hmm. And you might do it, but you're not going to last very long and you're not going to enjoy it. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's a really loaded um, question, but, but here's what I know for sure. I definitely see, you know, when there are women put into leadership positions, you see that culture of equality level up pretty quick. <laughs> um, when you hold people accountable and you have the conversations, you see it level up pretty quick. And when you measure it, you see it level up pretty quick. <laughs> so, you know, that's just um, that's just my two cents. What do you think are the biggest challenges for leaders today? And what do you think about when you're selecting people for your team? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I've always been... Um, and we mentioned it at the beginning, I'm a big believer in this bring your whole self to work kind of approach, right? Um, 
but I'm also a believer in like role role related knowledge is important. But you know, I think the reasons you hire people are often not the reasons you fire people. And so if we could only just get better at hiring, like thinking about why you fire people and sort of hiring for that too. I just did some great training at Google actually about culture ad, right? So not hiring to be our culture, but what are you going to add to our culture? And it really resonated with me because I, I feel like I do that. Um, quite naturally is, well, what is the dynamic of the team right now and what has this gap created? But what's the opportunity for us? Um, you know, what do you bring? How do you, how will you interact and what kind of dynamism do you have there? You know, it's so rare. Yeah. One of my leaders actually that I've just hired down in Melbourne had this beautiful, unique opportunity um, just because everyone had gotten new jobs at the same time to actually create you know, his leadership team and kind of coaching and supporting him through that was really interesting because, you know, you want someone who's got a bit of on the job experience, but someone who's got completely different set of experiences and being able to kind of curate that Mm -hmm. is really rare. Um, But I think that that's someone who's going to add to the dynamism of your team is much more valuable than another person who's just got the hard skills that you're looking for. And I think it's something you learn in the tech space um, in real life a lot because, you know, think about when I joined Google back in 2007, right, you weren't exactly inundated with people who had a ton of search experience, right? No one (laughs) one did. And so you had to just, like, hire smart people and then train them up on your products and train them up on all of the you know, intricacy, intricacies of it all. Um, and so I still believe I do that quite quite a lot. What do you think are the biggest challenges for leaders, you know, for you, for other leaders today? Yeah, I mean, I think there has been a seismic shift in how to build, maintain and kind of foster a culture in the post-pandemic world. Uh, that's something that I think about quite a lot. Um, and the tensions or the polarities of that, right? So you'll sit down with a group of Googlers and they all want career development. They all want to be given the next opportunity. They all want to learn. They need the flexibility in their life Um, and they might not want to come into the office as often as, you know, what we were doing before the pandemic. So... So I think about that a lot, I think, and I specifically from a capability point of view, think about how much I learned just by watching people. Yeah. Not watching like the pitch, like going to a meeting and seeing someone, just the little things, like the observations of how they held themselves in a room or the conversation before or after the topics in a meeting, you know. And so I worry about how do we how do we do that in this world where you want to give people flexibility, you want to have this hybrid approach, but inherently it means they're not spending as much time with each other anymore. Um, so that's a big one. Yeah. Um, I think some of the other big challenges are, um, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty out there at the moment, right? Macro uncertainty. 
Um, and so this concept of discipline and decision making, I think, is something that a lot of leaders are focused on right now and sort of where are you going to put your bets because it's not unlimited resources it's not um you know what it was last year or in the post-pandemic kind of roller coaster where are the big bets and how do you be a little bit more choiceful about the things that you're doing yeah Um, and then obviously ai i mean i think ai is um, a huge opportunity, um, but a, a strategic question for everyone. It's mm-hmm. like, where, how can I take advantage of it? What should I be thinking about? What capabilities do I need to be looking at? What are my competitors doing? Um, you know, that, that's just a big one, I think, on, on the mind right now. It's interesting what you talk about in terms of uh, how much you learn from watching people. And, you know, I often talk about the fact that I know without a doubt, most of my learning came when other leaders invited me into the room. Yeah. And I got to see them negotiate things and, you know, all sorts of different things, but in situations where they weren't confident how things were going to work out either. So they were kind of vulnerable in opening the door and letting me into the room. And I I mean, I think I was extraordinarily lucky to have that opportunity to go into so many rooms like that. But I just wonder, you know, hybrid has probably made that harder, but we can still do it. But I wonder if we think about it in the same way. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, and let's be honest, I think you're, I also learned a lot about what not to do. Totally, <laughs> like, totally. I, I saw people do it badly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, that's a whole other podcast. But, um, yeah, I think you're right. Like you have to you have to be so much more conscious of um, of bringing people in and and all that stuff. Like my my meeting room where I tend to have most of my meetings um, here is next to a certain group of people and I'm always yeah. kind of attuned to the fact that I'm having probably more hallway conversations with this group than I am with others. And, you know, so you're trying to sort of think about that even when you are in a physical space. But in the virtual world, I mean, yeah, it's it's not something that you think to do, is it, to sort of say, oh, hi, would you like to join this hangout that I'm having with X, Y, Z? Yeah. Can you think of um, one last piece I want to ask just about feedback because I think feedback is so critical to the development of our careers. And I also think there's a bit of a feedback crisis, um, particularly I think on the back of COVID and, you know, that what you talked about before about people's values shifting and a whole range of things, great resignation, all of those sorts of things coming together where I think people were even more reticent to give direct actionable feedback to people in case they left. So, you know, I'd love your thoughts on that, but I'd also love to hear you've shared one piece of feedback you got with us along the way. Is there a piece of feedback you got that was sort of hard to, really hard to hear at the time that you ended up seeing value in? Yeah, I mean, um, yes, for sure. I mean, I have um, maybe a bit of a potty mouth, like and I remember one of my um, bosses said to me, you know, he did the, he did a really good job of giving me the whole combination of feedback. He's like, you know what, Mel, you've got this great fire in your belly. You are so compelling. People want to listen to you. And that's powerful. But if you don't watch your mouth, (laughs) you don't learn to temper it. 
you know, it's this coupling of power and discipline, mm. um, then, you know, it's all going to go to waste. Yeah. And I, it was hard to hear, A, because it was true, and B, because I actually really struggled for a while with how to action it. And the tension for me was, but that's me. That's so me. That's who I am. I'm authentic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not that. It's just that, you know, you learn to play your cards. You learn, you learn to read the room. You learn to play your cards. And um, you. I don't want to be known as the potty mouth person. I want to be known as the person who's really impactful with what yeah. they say. Yeah. Um, and that's got nothing to do with my authenticity. So being direct has been authentic, Mel. Giving you the feedback right between the eyes has always been authentic, Mel. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to kind of sort of pivot to your broader feedback question, I mean, the people who I listen to the most, the people who've cut through the most are the people who genuinely take an interest in my growth. Yes. Right. And the people that I have genuine relationships with, and this is true even when people are saying, Oh, you know, Mel, you're great. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know me. So I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Um, but when someone you really respect says, you know what, I see what you're great at mm-hmm. and this is going to hold you back. Mm-hmm. You listen. It's the biggest um, gift. It is the biggest gift. Um, and, you know, i that's where I get 150% of my dopamine hits today is when I'm having coaching or kind of office hours sessions with the folks in my team and they come in and they say, well, I'm struggling with this customer interaction or I'm, you know, I really am ready for this next job opportunity. Um, here's what I think my feedback is. And when you can say to them, this, this, but this, yes. Um, and they, you know, they listen. So, yeah, it's always, it's always a little bit crunchy to hear, but yeah, yeah. But if you, yeah, but it's worth listening to. I um I want to congratulate you because you've obviously you've absorbed that particular piece of feedback very well. I mean, you've managed almost forty five minutes and not, you know, not. <laughs> Not demonstrated your potty mouth at all. So if it's still there, you've certainly mastered it. It's probably behaviour therapy. Yes, yes. I would love to ask you the final question that I ask of everybody, Mel, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? I think it's exactly what we were just talking about. I think it's being able to be you. Um, That all of you, not the best of you, all of you. Um, it is exhausting, I think, for women to have to come in and pretend to be the work version of yourself after you've just literally run a marathon to get into the you know, front door of the office. So it's brave to be vulnerable. It's brave to share what's going on in your life. It's brave to be very loud and proud about leaving. And it's brave to be the boss of your boundaries. Um, but don't let anyone doubt your output. <laughs> don't, you know. Um, so that's that's what it means to me. I think that, you know, if I was to summarise 99% of the conversations I have with women in a, some sort of coaching capacity, 
um, they always end in the please don't make me go searching under the rug for all of the great things you do. Yes. Right? And bravery in just being upfront with what you're proud of, yeah. you know, is it, it feels like it's brave, but gosh, you're doing me a favor. Like, I don't have time. I don't have time to go hunting under the rug. So, do me a favor. And then, funny, you know what? That flip actually helps people kind of get there. <laughs> like, I'm doing Mel a favor if I tell her all the great things that I'm yes. doing. You are. <laughs> no. um, yeah. So, I think that bravery um, is, is in the, the vulnerability of it all. Thank you so much for adding your voice to our conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and I know the audience will love our chat. Thank you so much, Mel Silver. Thank you. And thanks for doing this. I think you do a great job and um, I love listening to your podcast too. So thank you. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second guessing themselves so that they can maximize their influence influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.